Tavern Squad is a tabletop RPG podcast that features adult themes and language. Content warnings can be found in the episode notes. Take a moment to subscribe. Take a couple moments to leave a review. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and Twitter. Or visit TavernSquad.com for more of our content. Since the dawn of high fantasy RPGs, there has been no greater stage for a story to be told or to begin than a tavern, the mythical epicenter for both adventure and drink alike. Armed with their dice, tankards, and creative expression, five D&D nerds quest for glory and to keep traditional narrative cliche alive. This is Tavern Squad. Hello and welcome to the Tavern. I'm your Dungeon Master, your Innkeeper, and your host, Connor Everly. Here with the season finale of our Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition homebrew campaign titled Before the Storm Horse. This is a long episode, and we have some announcements at the end of our program to make it longer still. Thusly, we have decided to jump right in, but please stick around after the show to hear what's going on with us and to catch this month's Tums Mailbag. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. High noon, double stuff, super hot sunlight from two suns bears down upon a quiet cobbled alley of Denbro's cluttered buildings. Grunts of exhaustion and exertion emanate from beneath a sun-warmed manhole cover, growing in intensity until the cover is lifted and slid upon the adjacent tiles. We see Roynar emerge from the service hole, turn around, and with much effort hoist the corpse of the Vidalcan cultist from the assisting arms of G3, who then clomps out beside him. Extending a large metal hand towards the service hole, G3 helps Cecilia, and then Tums, up to the sunlit surface. Bloody and ragged, you all walk towards the Barazlays Point Museum, where you see a small crowd waiting upon you, excited by your arrival. This group consists of the two guards, Officer Dozer and Dav, Aunt May, Prilo, a dozen confused onlookers, and Limden, who charges over towards you, Roynar. You did it, Roynar! High five! And you see him hold his hand out for a high five. I kind of feel like maybe Roynar's carrying the body, so he can't quite get it. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. Maybe um, after you put him down or something, that might my bad. Uh, Limden says, kind of wringing his hands and looking a little bashful. Uh, yeah, no worries. No worries. Prilo looks stunned for a moment. Holy shit, Tums, you did it! Holy cow! Look at this guy! You guys are heroes! And he's running around, like, running through <laughs> all of you. And he, like, he kind of, like, roughs you up, Tums. You know, he just kind of, like, grabs you and, like, shakes you a little bit and, like, oh, messes up your hat. Dead. Roll a d4 of damage. <laughs> yeah. Roll a d4 of embarrassment damage as your dad just dads so hard. Okay, so the embarrassment reduces Tums to two health. <laughs> it does four damage. He sees on the brink of death. 
Because of his embarrassment. Oh, jeez, Dad, please, just settle down. No, no way, no how. My son's a hero. Here it is, everybody. My son's a hero. This is great. Look at the heroes of Barazley's Point. And some onlookers are, like, kind of looking around a little bit confused, and they kind of start awkwardly clapping <laughs> with a scattered applause. <laughs> it's like, that's right. That's right. This guy here he was doing stuff in the sewers, right? He was doing bad stuff. And Aunt May's like, that is right, everyone. He was summoning demons. That's why all the people have been disappearing, probably. And then people are like, oh, okay. And they start clapping more, like, you know, more deliberately. Um, and there's an applause. And in the distance, you see multiple groups of people are advancing on your position. And the first you see are the Krugen, a band of these, like, awesome mercenaries, you know, they definitely have hung out at Beige Topic. <laughs> <laughs> they, they look really sweet. Like, just different kinds of warriors with different weapons. Like, just the most classic mercenaries you can imagine, you know, looking scarred and hardcore. And leading the pack is Oliver Slitherspoon with his two brothers in tow. With their white pleated cloaks with the golden sunbursts. So do I still have that demon hand? I know that it like, kind of got away. I mean, there has been plenty of demon bodies for you to collect a trophy. So. Okay. Can I get the head of... Um, JP? No. Um, the blue guy? Well, yeah, but he's not technically a demon. But Oh, never mind. Yeah, I'll get the head of... I don't even care. Any random okay. one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You... And I just want to like hold it up to him and be like, Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> and he... <laughs> you start eating its cheek, too? No. Nah. No, we save that for private moments. <laughs> <laughs> and interrogations, apparently. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> private interrogation moments. And Oliver just looks at you with, like, swelling pride. He, he has no words to speak, but you can tell that he is just so proud of you. His chest is puffed up. His chin is out. He looks to his brothers as if to say... Here she is, the fourth daughter of the fifth son, a great slayer. Um, all this, of course, non-verbally. And he comes up to you, and the only things he can say is, You've done well, Cecilia. Yeah! Yeah! I do, like, cartwheels, like, with the, the head still in my hand, like, one arm yeah. cartwheels, like, and I'm too excited. The Krugen and your uncles, like, give you praise, and they shout, and uh, your father claps his hand on your shoulder, and he says, We will finish the ritual then. Yeah! <laughs> this jovial atmosphere is made more so. Prilo then exclaims, all right, everybody, in spirit of our heroes here, it's 50% off all drinks for tonight. Come by, see the hero himself, hear the stories. You're all invited. Woo! <laughs> heroes drink for free. Yeah! Then G3 and Roynar, you notice the look on the officers' faces. They appear to be feeling somewhat guilty. Striding into the opening in front of the Barazlays Point Museum, you see two Warforged guards, guard six and guards nine. Um, <laughs> nice. And they are flanking Captain Dreg Marlig, your captain, G3. And he has a scowl written on his face. And beside him is Sir Calatan Greaves. And as I've mentioned before, Roynar, he is not an expressive man. But you can see a very clear crease in his brow. He is up 
set. The two Barazlay's Point Rangers give one last kind of regretful look before they, like, walk off and into the crowd. Those fuckers narked on us. (laughs) (laughs) And Captain Drag strides right up to you, G3. G3, report! Captain, the mission was mostly a success. We have successfully stopped the summoning of the demons. His stare is stern as he looks at you. This news is well received. However, I must agree with your assessment. It has been mostly successful. You will be debriefed back up at Castello Fidenza. Yes, sir. May I take a moment to thank my newfound partners? No. <laughs> so, sorry, very dramatic. Um, I mean, he thought about it. You could tell he thought about it. And then he was just like, I bet G3 was just looking around at everyone. He's like, ah. You will report to the Castello Fidenza immediately. You have breached protocol on multiple accounts. Ruh-roh. Sir Calatan Greaves gives a slow nod while looking at you directly, Roynar. Like, everything coming out of Dreg Marlig's mouth is also kind of focused at you. He is very upset. And I, I think for Roy, pretty much as soon as he saw his, you know, commander, he would have gone rigid, and then as he approached, he would have saluted. Uh, and then as his attention... And, and dropped the Vidalkin on the ground? <laughs> <laughs> well, he dropped the Vidalkin, you know, a long time ago. Oh, okay. okay. Fuck him. Um, uh, he, he did give Lyndon his high five. He did just have to put the body down. You know? Okay. He gets it. He, he's a team player. As he salutes, and then as Caltan's attention kind of drifts to him... He steps forward and he says, Sir, completed the mission. Also, the Warden of the Wastes. And I think he would, like, offer JP's badge, which I think he would have taken. The Warden of the Wastes seems to have been the first victim. Who knows how long this Vidalkin was down in those sewers. Sir Caltan Greaves takes the badge and then hands it to Drag Marlig. And without saying much else, he says, Come to the Citadel. You will be debriefed. And you, Roynar, and G3 are bade to... Respect your commander's commands, and you are quickly shuffled off. And as you head back towards the steps, you hear Prilo call out, Hey, if you guys are coming back or something, be sure to come to the gut! And you are led away. Cecilia, you are likewise taken in tow by your father and the Krugan and your uncles, and you are led back to your home to complete the ritual. Can we say we all, like, go and get a drink at 50% off, and then we, like, drink it walking home? Yeah. Because we're the Krugan. We get, we're get fucking independent organization here. <laughs> That's Badass. <laughs> That's fair. So you guys take a moment to go to the inn. We just order a drink. I tell Tom, like, dude, like, I'm impressed. Like, you kicked oh. some ass. Oh, thanks. Shucks. You're not so and- bad, after all. Your brother, though. Fuck him. Yeah, he sucks. And then I leave. (laughs) You go and you get your drinks, and as you depart, Cecilia, Prilo says, All right, be sure to come back later. That's when the real fun starts. My son needs a nap. He needs to to get his health back. You're looking pretty rough, kid. Dad. (laughs) I won't hear any more of it. And Prilo gets a mock serious voice. You will respect your commander's commands, big hero. Cecilia's just cracking up, walking out the door, like, so happy with a beer in her hand. (laughs) So, Tums, you go to clean yourself up and take a nap. Cecilia, you are taken back to your home to complete the ritual. (laughs) 
So, G3, you are taken to the guard station, and you are put into a room, one of the interrogation rooms. After your initial questioning, you are left alone in this interrogation room for hours. And you reckon it's probably about 4 p.m. when, finally, Captain Drag Marlig comes in with Lieutenant Brackmore. Lieutenant Brackmore is an elf, pretty clean cut, has like a broom mustache and a flat top blonde haircut. Lieutenant Brackmore stands in the corner as Captain Marlig sits across the table from you in this very simple room. G3, you have broken protocol, although it is unclear as to why you did. Tell us again, why did you break protocol? Well, Captain, this situation was unique, thus required unique decision-making, whereas some of the choices that were made in order to get the best outcome required breaking lesser rules. Your programming does not typically allow for moral quandaries to factor into your operations. But, sir, were they moral quandaries or following orders? They were moral quandaries, where you should have been following orders. We heard that you intervened with guard duties, that you... You acted in ways against protocol. You see a complex range of emotion go over the face of Captain Drag Marling. You can make an insight roll. Oh, yeah. Uh, G3-year-old Nate. Okay, with an eight, you can kind of see that, like, he hears what you're saying, and he understands that not all things are black and white. So he seems a little bit internally conflicted. But he also seems like he's incredibly stressed. And he takes a deep breath in and releases it. <sighs> G3, have you had any dreams recently or noticed anything different? And you see at this point that um, Lieutenant Brackmore's ears kind of like perk up a little bit as he just stares at you. G3 kind of kind of waits a moment. What do you mean by different or weird? Beyond the normal, have you seen anything when you are in your standby mode. I did, but I think I may have just been recalling something? What did you see? Well, I was in trouble. What kind of trouble? G3 thinks for another second. I saw horses. I was in a desert, and they pounded me into the sand. Make another insight roll. All right. Got a 17 this time. Okay. You see uh, a look of dread cross Captain Marling's face, and you see Lieutenant Brackmore whispers something into the captain's ears. Uh, make a perception check for me, please. All right. Rolled a 20. Okay. Despite him trying to put his hand over his lips so you can't read his lips and talk really quietly, you do hear, It seems we have another guard 19 situation. You know what to do, Marling. Drag looks up at him and says, We can reprogram. It didn't work last time. It's not going to work this time. You know what you need to do. Get guards six and nine to take care of it. Yes, sir. And pretty briskly, Lieutenant Brackmore just strides out of the room, flings the door open, and walks off. I think G3 would feign some ignorance here. Be like, sir, 
Is there a problem? Why don't you go ahead and make a deception for me? I'll give you advantage um, as I think, I don't know, there's a certain emotionlessness I think you might be able to capture and be hard to read. Oh, got a 16. Okay, so Captain Marlig doesn't give any notice to your feigned surprise, your feigned naivete. Well, G3, there is a slight problem with breaking protocols. It's not in your programming to break the protocols. We're going to have to send you back into training uh, to reprogram you. Guard 6 and 9 will help you with this. That is a rarity, sir. What will happen to my memories? You will still remember them, uh, but you will. your main operations will not deviate from what is scripted. Essentially, you'll remember everything, but you'll just be more in line. Sir, I feel like I've been in line this whole time. Don't you agree? Could there have been a better outcome for today's crazy events? I think my actions are justified, sir. That's part of the problem, G3. Whether or not I agree doesn't matter. You're set for reprogramming. And you see him reach over to the table to the one pigeon, and he grabs it and puts it to his ear. He says, bring in guards six and nine. And then he puts the pigeon back on the table. (laughs) The pigeon doesn't fly. Nope, it just sits there. (laughs) They took my axe, I assume. They have taken your axe, yes. Okay. And as the door opens and guards six and nine enter, you hear uh, six with his robotic voice. Come this way, guard three. We will go for reprogramming. Uh, yeah. Guard three uh, follows them. But he does say goodbye to his captain before he goes. He wants to guilt trip him a little bit, though. Captain, thank you for sending me on this mission. I know it has been hard for both me and you, but it has been valuable. He looks at you and swallows hard. I'm glad you feel that way, G3. He looks kind of sad, and he looks at you skeptically as he looks you up and down, and he says, That's a nice cloak, by the way. Oh, and this is when G3 billows the cloak. Nice. (laughs) Like looking over his shoulder. (laughs) Billowing. Oh, God, that's something. Take inspiration. (laughs) Take inspiration. That's fantastic. He looks at you and he says, I'll see you after reprogramming, G3. Yes, sir. You are led down a few complex hallways by guard six and nine. Until finally they lead you to a chamber. There is a door. A wooden door, and you can hear the faint whistling of wind from beyond it. They open the door to show a room that has three sides and no fourth wall. And I look at the camera. Um, (laughs) It's very much like uh, the Eerie with Game of Thrones, right? Where it's just like an open room. And you just hear the wind whipping below you. You see the spiral river flowing in its spirals down the steps over the terraced farmlands and you see northwards and you start to see gathering clouds and a storm and something vibrates in the back of your mind you hear the sound of distant thunder rumble and you swear you hear the sound of pounding hooves and you look around the space to see it is completely empty And there is just guard six and nine right next to you. Are they 
armed? They are armed with fair great axes. Okay. Are you ready for reprogramming, G3? Guard six and nine, what does that entail? They look at each other. I think as they were looking at each other, because G3 already got the inside of what's going to happen, he would go for one of their axes. Go ahead and give me an initiative real quick. Nice. Oh, that's that, you. <laughs> that was me. I got a critical success. Okay, I got a 10. As you try to like go for their weapon, they see you engage, and they immediately go into chops and hacks with their axes. 18 and a 13 versus your armor class. The first one hits. You're going to take... 14 damage. Okay. Guard 9's axe just buries itself, like, right into your hip flexor. And then guard 6 tries to swing his axe at you. Um, But I think since you were trying to grab for it, like, he tries to swing and you just grab the shaft of the axe before it can hit you. Uh, Now it is your turn. Um, I'm going to try and wrangle this axe out of his hand. Okay, go ahead and make a strength competition. He gets plus five. Uh, 22? Yeah, you managed to wrench the axe out of guard six's hands. And uh, yeah, that would be my turn, so I guess it's theirs. Guard nine would put the bend in his axe right beneath your ankle, and guard six would attempt a shove. Uh, So go ahead and do a strength saving throw. Oh yeah, G3 rolled a 24. That is a tie. This is what happens. It's clear that they're trying to back you up and throw you over the edge, but you fall back and you fall prone, your shoulders kind of leaning over the precipice, dangling from the top spiral of the steps. And you still have the axe in your hand, but you are now prone. It is your turn. What would you like to do? Uh, I'm going to use half my movement to stand up. Then I'm going to swing the axe. Can I do like the barrel roll thing where I like go over them as I swing? Does that make sense? So you're trying to like get to the other side of them with your with your strike? Yeah, so imagine he G3's like pole vaulting. He's gonna swing the axe down into them and then use that as like how he rotates over them. That seems You've like- got the ring! You've got the oh, ring! Oh jump. jump! Oh shit, okay. You just leap yes. over it. Okay, so go ahead and roll. Uh, go for guard six or guard nine. Which one? Obviously, you start with the six. So um, it rolls a 24 to hit for guard six with the great axe. That hits. What's your damage? Uh, it is six slashing. Yeah, you hit guard six as you leap over him. And guard nine looks over to guard six and says, It appears he has gained additional abilities. And guard six looks over to guard nine and says, Yeah, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) Then guard nine goes for an axe strike with a natural 20. Whoa. Fuck. You take 20 damage. Oh, yeah, that knocks me down. I had 17 left. All right, so this is what happens, G3. As you hear, you know, no shit, you land and you feel pretty badass. And as you turn around you see just the blade of Guard 9's axe plunge into your chest, and you are stunned. Your vision kind of starts, like, blinking out. It's a little bit of the standby maze, Windows 98 style, um, and you're kind of, like, flashing into reality, and then flashing of, like, the storm horse. And as you see these pictures of this stampede going over you, your standby mode kind of freaking out and glitching and getting peaks of reality as they are dragging you towards the edge... You suddenly feel like you're falling. 
Cecilia, you had a good drink in your stomach, and you are being led up the steps by a band of brutal mercenaries that are all, like, laughing and cheering with you. And some of your neighbors know who you are and aren't so concerned, but you get some of those, like, curmudgeon hobbit-type people, you know, just, like, look at you, like, scowling as you (laughs) walk by this band of ruffians and monster hunters. And you see Stacy up on the steps of her home wearing some beige topic armor. (laughs) She is part of the Krugan. Yes! Go, queen, go! I, like, shout up to her. (laughs) And she Does the move that we were practicing earlier at the very episode one. And chops more corn. (laughs) You hear Stacy's mom. Stacy! Damn it, Stacy! (laughs) And Stacy looks at you and she goes, So you succeeded, right? Hell yeah! Well done! That's amazing. I'm I'm so happy for you. I I joined the Krugan. Yeah, girl, yeah. I talked to your dad. I went through the test and I passed with my moves. And you see her do like another flourish of like punches and kicks, like very clearly a good martial artist. Yeah. So proud of you. Well, um, I guess I'll join a little bit of the party later, but uh, I guess you still got some stuff to do. Yes. As like a Krugan initiate, does she have to like get everybody drinks and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you are taken into your home. Your mom just grabs you by the cheeks and she goes, Oh my God, Cecilia, I heard about what happened. Are you okay? She looks at you. Oh, you're cut. You're hurt. You're bitten. I'll be fine, Ma. Don't worry. And your father over your shoulder goes, it'll be fine. She's a monster hunter. This is what it is. And she kind of looks at him a little bit angrily, but she's like a little bit resigned. It's all right. Well, give her the damn cloak and let's get on with tonight. Cecilia's jaw drops at the mention of a cloak. (gasps) And so the Krugan make themselves comfortable in your living room. (laughs) You know, like talking to your siblings and, you know, having some uh, charcuterie. Your mom made a charcuterie board. Nice. Reese is, like, dealing out, like, grape bushels. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Uh, Just being good hosts. And you, your father, and your uncles go down into the circular room in which you began. They take you down to the circular room, and again, there is only a single flame of a candle that stands upon the pedestal in the center of the circular room. Your father goes to the far side of the room and picks up a box. It is a box made of ironwood. And he takes it over to you and presents it to you. Cecilia, do you know why the clan of the Crested Saguaro wears the skin of the sunlit Saguaro? Um, is it to stay shaded from the sun? He smiles. Not only does it shade you from the sun, but it goes back to the history of our peoples. To the landing of Jazirian. Mm. Jazirian was the sun god a long time ago. A great serpent with colorful feathered wings. He guided our people to this land and tried to shine his light into the darkness and allow us to prosper. He created a beacon for all of his followers. A sunlit saguaro. A saguaro of white flesh and golden thorn. Beacons, reminders, gifts from Jazirian, our god. All hail. Your praises fall upon ears that no longer live. Jazirian was killed in the gods' war. 
his heart fragmented. With Jazirian gone, he could no longer create the gift of the Sunlit Suaro. He left us. The sun is dying. It is a campfire that is left untended. One day, the sun will burn out. Tlyutana or the other one? The other one. (laughs) (laughs) One day, this sun will burn out and leave us in darkness. We take the skin of the Sunlit Suaro to honor Jazirian and to protect us while we continue in dark days. The clan of the Crested Suaro is meant to be the beacon in the darkness. Yeah. In honor of Jazirian's light. The Sunlit Suaro has hardly been seen. It is a rare gift, and there are few cloaks that look the way this does. And he unlatches the ironwood box to reveal a white pleated cloak with golden thorn bursts upon the pleats. That's so epic. Take this, Cecilia, as a member of the clan of the Crested Suaro. I was so happy. (laughs) I just had, like, all my teeth are showing in a smile, and I just, like, take it gently from my dad and, like, put it on, and then just, like, the toothiest grin, like, (laughs) ever. And as you take it and don the cloak, your family, your uncles and your father, put their hands upon you, on your shoulders, and your father puts his hand on your forehead, and he speaks a prayer in Draconic. May the skin of the sunlit Sawaro protect you when the dead sun will no longer rise upon this earth. Take this in honor of those who seek to illuminate the way and burn foul corruption and shadow from your path. Fourth daughter of the fifth sun, your story, your destiny will be filled with much heartache and much mirth. But that is a destiny for you to unfold. And they take their hands off of you, and your father extends his arms for a hug. I go on for a hug. And you hug your father, and he looks at you, and he says, You've done a great job, Cecilia. I am so proud of you. Thank you. And of course, I'm going to keep all the times I fucked up in my head. But I'm like, I've reanimated the dead so many times, Dad. It was so cool. I'm so excited about this Planet Cluster Suaro robe. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're happy, and I'm happy you made it. What you said happened down there is far beyond what I thought your capabilities were. I had good help, thankfully. Indeed you did. Are you going to go back to the angry gut later? Maybe. Okay, well, your mom's put together a little dinner and stuff, so at least hang around for a little bit before. Okay, yeah, I I would like a nap, too. I made fun of Tom's for getting a nap, but it it sounds really nice. All right, (laughs) that sounds like a plan. (laughs) You go back up to your family, and again, you hear your siblings go, Lizard Poe! <laughs> and they jump on top of you for a moment. And then, and then they all spike. leap off of you. And then you <laughs> As they run away, scattered in different directions. Ah, uh, yes. Good. <laughs> you need to bleed a little, Sibs. You gotta get used to it. Shit's really hard out there in the real world. And they all just kind of like grumble and they're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> little Snape is like, yeah, okay. And his little wig has like, you know, like a little floof of emo hair over yeah. his left eye. <laughs> you ascend the stairs into your room and you sleep until it's about four and you hear your mom ring a dinner bell and you come downstairs 
and you see some of the Krugan are still there. Your family's all together, and they have a lot of food and drink. You sit down, and you enjoy a nice hour or so of your family's company. And you think to go outside and get a breath of fresh air. And as you open the door, all of this joy is replaced with severe confusion. When you see Roynar without his armor and G3 in a wheelbarrow outside your front door. What the fuck? My AC is going to go down like by two. This is bullshit. You made your choices, Dan. So, Tums, you wake up at around 4 p.m. in your bed. Your window is still slightly ajar from when you were on the roof shooting down at the Griggs. What a wild 24 hours it has been for you. Does that count as a long rest for Tums? Um, you know, let's see. You guys got up around. Uh, yeah, you know what? We'll just call, we'll call it a long rest. Yay. We'll call it a long Thank rest you. for Thank those you. Jesus Christ. Almighty DM. <laughs> Except for you, G3. You're almost dead. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. You're not really in long rest uh, territory there, G3. I mean, I'm in for the long, long rest, it seemed like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Tums is restored to 31 hit points, and his spell spots are, are cleared again. So Fantastic. You wake up, and while you feel this moment of peace, you suddenly hear a crash, a flame whoosh, and you hear Prilo go, Damn it, Pep! Get your head in the game! What are you doing? You don't do that with oven and stuff like that! You gotta burn the whole place down! I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Dad, just a little bit distracted, okay? And, uh... Jeez! <laughs> I guess I'll come down the stairs and, and be rubbing my eyes a little bit and being like, uh, Dad, why are you starting on him so early? Early? It's 4, it's 4 p.m. Your friends are going to come around. We got we to gotta make sure the food's ready. I told people there was half off of drinks and people are going to want to come. People are going to want food. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. Look, I, I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you. Um, sorry to do this to you, kid. I know you're a big hero today, but would you please give your brother a hand in the kitchen? For God's sakes. <laughs> are you? Are you kidding me? I... No, D Dad, I, I told you I didn't want to do this. No, I mean just just for today, just for tonight, for now. Like, no, you don't have to take over the whole place. We just, we just help. He could use a hand, please. Uh, uh, fine. Yeah. Thank you. Just just a little bit. Just a little bit of time. You know, if you're, if you're not going to take this place over, then we got to make some cash. And just, just help me out a little bit here, uh, uh, please. All right. And I'll, I'll throw on my apron and get in the back. So you get your apron on and you go into the kitchen. You see Pep like dumping water inside of like your stone oven. Mm -hmm. And he turns around. Says, oh, look, big hero's back, huh? Bet you must feel so cool. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about? You, you Hanging out with the, the law and the Central Bureau, man? You think that's cool? You know, you know what they're trying to do to small people like us and lizard folk. You know where the Listen. you were in the sewers with the lizard folk. <sighs> Pep, you were just asking for trouble, man. Pep, not. I don't want to hear this stuff again. I've told you, you you're rotting your mind. You got to get off of these things. Go ahead and make a persuasion check. Uh, four, but it's a it's a natural one. So a critical fail. Was it rot my brain? Rot, my brain, man? No way. No way. You're the one who is cavorting with all of these people, and 
working at the post. You're the one who's indoctrinated, man, not me, okay? I've been shown the truth. I've been seeing things. I know what's going on. Pep, I just don't, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, we, I don't know how this happened to you. It's both of us. We we spent all the same time in, in the same places, but... But you just kept working here. Is this what you want? Do you want to be stuck here at the at the gut? And he just kind of looks at you sourly. I, I mean, does it even matter what I want, Tums? With Dad out here, you're you're a big hero, and here you are back in the kitchen, huh? Like you going off doing great things, working at the post office, complaining uh, all the time. You you really getting under my my skin today, Pep? I I I don't know. What 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 do you want me to do? What what do you want me to do? Just tell me. Just just get the fucking oven running. Fine. And so with with that, I'll, I'll get my uh, my cast bonfire going <laughs> and start up the oven. And you can just like you hear Pep scoff and roll his eyes, just seeing how easy it was for you to do that. Everything's just so easy for you. You don't have any fucking problems. You're so talented, and you know how to talk to people. Okay, for starters, I really don't know how to talk to people. If you met the people that I was hanging out with today, you would know that uh, your brother looks like a fool often, <laughs> and and. For seconds, it, it's not easy. It's very hard. I hate it. I hate working at the post office. I don't work there anymore, Pep. They fired me. I'm a piece of shit. Okay? It's not so easy. I'm struggling just the same as you. I'm just not back here. Why'd they fire you anyway? Such a goody two-shoes working with the law. Of course you're going to look like an idiot around the Central Bureau. They're a bunch of fucking weirdos. And they're going to make you look weird by association. Uh. So, yeah, what's the, spill the beans, huh? Like, why are you getting fired? You, you missed the clean-cut rules all the time. Oh, uh, Pep, uh, listen, just... And you're looking at so much porn? I've seen so much porn? You can't, you can't, you can't... Yep. Oh, Pep, it's not it's not porn, Pep. What do you mean it's not porn? I see all the the bits and the, the junk. <laughs> Listen, you can't tell Dad about this, okay? And I've I've read the articles. They're not Pep, good. Stop, <laughs> stop. You're not the first person to tell me this, okay? But Pep, I I was stealing, okay? I I I'd get these things there in in the post office, and everybody says they look like porno mags, but they're they're, they're from the Thieves Guild. They're, they're, they're like trade books for, for thievery. Uh, I've been learning a lot, and uh, that's, that's why I got in trouble. And Pep kind of looks at you with some reverence now. Wait, you're, you're talking to the, you're talking to the, uh, the Thieves what? Guild? Uh, you, you're playing two sides, man. I... Thief, thieves Guild's trying to take down the government, man. But then you're working with the, what's your what is your game? I I, I I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of going with the flow, and and they've been reaching out to me. I, maybe they haven't been reaching out to me. I don't know. I just know that I, I see things from the thieves guild, and other people see porno mags, and I've been learning a lot. And uh, while I was down there in the sewers, we we met a guy that that was from the thieves guild, and I I just don't know, and. You know, the post was a good job, and it paid the bills, but I, I hated it. I really did, Pep. I hated it. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do now, okay? So life's not that easy, and it's not that simple. You know, I don't care how you see it, but that that's the way it is for me. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and do another persuasion, this time with advantage. Okay, so the better of the two persuasions is going to be a 13. Pep is kind of settling down. He, he's not so antagonistic. And he starts to pull some food out of the fridge and kind of do some prep work. 
some pep work. Some pep work. <laughs> yep. As he's working away. I know it's not easy, and I'm I'm sorry for giving you a hard time. Especially now that you're in the Thieves Guild. Wow, that's really cool. But uh I've been having I've been having a really hard time, Tums. I know that we don't like talk a whole lot. Um but things haven't been really good for me. I think that the government implanted a chip into my brain because I'm dreaming a lot. I'm dreaming a lot about about Hezco, the, the you know you know the company. Yeah. I keep seeing boxes on on a on a row, and I'm having dreams where I'm walking around a distribution center, but but I'm not me. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening, Tums. It's just it eats away at every day for me. I I don't know what it is. I just see Hezco, Hezco, all these stupid packages, and I. For a while, I thought it might just be like a little bit of envy that you have like a different and stable job, but that's that's real weird, Pep. We at the post office, we we kept getting Hezco stuff. Uh, Pep, you you ever hear anybody? Like, you ever hear anybody that's not there? Are 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 you fucking with me? No. You ever, you ever hear people? Go ahead and make a persuasion roll again. I I'll get I'll give you advantage on the persuasion. Sixteen. What? I, why, why do you ask? Do you hear people? Pep, you're my, you, you're my brother, and, and, so if I tell you this, you, you gotta, it's between you and me. You don't talk to, don't talk to Pop about this, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard stuff. I've heard stuff too, Tums. I've heard stuff too. <laughs> you, you know, I, I told you I, I get the stuff from the Thieves Guild, but this voice, it's, uh, and they tell me to do stuff that's that's different. Like light stuff on fire? Yeah. Like steal mail? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like to say fuck the establishment? Yeah, the the voice is in there. It's 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 burning in me. So I I, I guess I know where you're coming from, Pep. Does it also ever tell you to plant trees sometimes? <laughs> uh, I, I, I I haven't heard that yet, but but uh, it, it wouldn't seem out of the norm to hear something like that. Yeah, I've de- I've de- I've definitely planted a couple trees. <laughs> I've, I've woken up stark naked in the park with a shovel, and I've just planted a tree. <laughs> that's a that's a problem that you're gonna have to deal with, there, Pep. I, I I haven't I haven't experienced that yet, but oh, of course you haven't. <laughs> uh, I think so. I mean, don't you still have an inspiration from earlier? No, I burnt I burned it up. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah. I think everyone can get an inspiration um, based on hell yeah, uh, but not Dan yet. Um. <laughs> not Dan, not Dan. You piece of <laughs> shit. No, you, you son of a bitch. Yeah. You gotta hurt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, through the door, you hear. I hear an awful lot of cooking. Uh, shit, sorry. <laughs> nope. I hear an awful lot of talking, but not a whole lot of cooking. You boys, focus up. All right, and I think I think me and Pep would like exchange a knowing like. Like pissed off glance, like like brothers that are you know you gotta you gotta scrub this room with, with toothbrushes together. Same deal. Okay. And as as you're doing stuff, Pep, without really looking at you, he says, "You think you're gonna think you're gonna take over the gut when Pa's gone?"
Roynar, while you are not sure what G3 is experiencing, it is something somewhat similar. You are taken to the Citadel, a large cathedral-looking building that has been carved into the steps. So it's kind of like a facade of a cathedral. So you're led through the halls and you see a lot of the law men and women kind of like clapping upon your return and Limden's like walking right next to you and you know, he, Limden is just loving it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, yeah, we did it. We killed it over here. Me and Roynar are getting things done. <laughs> and Sir Calatan is just stone face walking you down to his office. I mean, he's probably like pretty pissed, right? And so the fact that everybody's making a big deal and Limden's kind of like, Limden must be super oblivious yeah. to just be like, I would oh no, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> I would absolutely say that very few people are as close to Sir Calatan Greaves as you. You were his squire. He helped you get knighted. So you definitely know him better than most people. But yeah, it, it does seem like Sir Calatan Greaves does seem a little bit irked at a bit of the fanfare. He shoots a look over to you, and to anybody else, it would seem like a perfectly normal look. But you can tell he's like... All of this praise ends in about a few moments. Yeah, and I think Roy has really not been letting it get to his head, because again, he can kind of read that. So he's just been standing there, like, quite cowed, silent, and not acknowledging any of it. Finally, you get to Sir Calatan's office, and Limden is right next to you. And Sir Calatan stops, and he looks at Limden, who looks back at Sir Calatan, who continues to stare at Limden. Royal elbow limbed in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, shoot. Sorry. Uh, all right. And uh, he he taps on his symbol twice in respect and gently bows before departing. And Sir Calatan opens the door and he has a very nice office. Everything is carved out of stone. Does, does he like create furniture and stuff as like an earth genasi, like out of stone? Is he like maybe a stonemason on the side? Sir Calatan is known to do some masonry work. Do you think he, he came from a family of masons? I'm sorry? Do you think he made anything in this? Yeah, that's kind of my point. Like, is he like an artisan as well as like a. Yeah. You know, I would like to say he's a bit of a warrior poet, even though he's pretty stoic. So, yeah, you see all of this handmade like marble and stone furniture, like well-polished, really well-crafted, very intricate. Um, and they do have his like little family insignia. So you sit down and Sir Calatan Greaves stares at you for what feels like an eternity. Why? Why did you go against protocols? Immediately. Respectfully, sir, I don't see it that way. If you're trying to tell me that it's regular protocol for Barazle's point guards to stick up old women on the street. Well, I just don't think you'd tell me that was standard protocol. So the way I look at it, we didn't interfere with anyone except for street robbery. While I agree with you, Roynar, my perceptions have very little to do with the outcome now. The protocol is strict in Barazle's point, and while I am glad that you have a good sense of morality, I am upset that you decided to break protocol this one time. I am upset, Sir Roynar, because today the law loses a good knight. And as far as you know, Sir Calatan Greaves, this is like an outburst. This is a very passionate, emotional outburst. 
And, and seeing that you're kind of stunned into silence for a moment, he says, What does being a knight mean to you? Why did you come here and join the law? If you wanted to be a brigand, a ruleless brigand, you could have joined the Krugan. Well, I suppose I'm here because I knew you were the strongest people in the city. If I was going to join anyone, I had to join the best. It's too bad. When you joined the best, you decided not to act like it. That feels like a slap in the face, for sure. Because, again, he, by, like, really his moral code and, like, his opinion, and his opinion of Calatan, like, he does not think he would have stood by either in that situation. So that one, that one kind of gets him a little bit. You did something remarkable today. You stopped a band of wild demons. Something that is not an easy feat. I just struggle, Roynar. I have heard of your family's lineage whispered, and I have heard about your line and the ending of it. Roynar, whether or not I agree with what you have done, you have broken protocol. You will have to turn in your armor, your badge, your sword, the things that the law has given to you. You are no longer a knight of the law. I think Roy would wince at that, but knowing this man's conviction, he knows there's probably also not that much he can say. So I think he would stand up and then just slowly start taking all the armor off and like setting it on a chair. And as you are finished doffing your armor, I would say maybe you make to put your expression shield and your uh, moon-touched blade down as well. But as you do, stop. Those were not given to you by the law. Those are yours. And you'll need them. We could have offered you some protection against him, Roinar. Or at least done our very best. But you have thrown yourself out in the cold. And I know why you did it. But it doesn't make it easier for me to do this, Roinar. You are one of my favorites. And I still see a lot of potential in you. Thank you, sir. But there's no one that could have protected me from him. There's no one that I'd want to protect me from him. The Vidalkin, he was working for him. He said something about the city being destroyed. Uh, I don't know if I'd put your guard down tonight. There's a weird energy in the air. Well, you did kill him and scatter his abyssal horde. Still, felt like there were larger things at play. Something about the goblin. He got visions. Something of the apocalypse. And that metal man, I don't know what they're doing to him, but... Well, I'm sure it's rude, but this one was kind of like a person. Not like 69. <laughs> <laughs> Roy will strap the sword to his side and carry the shield. And as he's about to leave, he'll tap on his chest where the insignia used to be. Aww. And Sir Calatan stands up and he says, I cannot do that. But I can do this. And he steps around his desk and he extends his hand to you. Roy gives it a hearty shake. Oh, yeah. You guys shake fucking hands. Um, and yeah, while his grip is like very, very strong, it's not crushing. It's very sturdy. Um, and yet somehow like smooth rather than soft, I guess. Like polished stone. We'll need you to clean out your quarters. And we'll give to you any goods that you came in with. Good luck out there, Roynar. Roll an insight check. Ooh, that is not a skill of mine. <laughs> uh, Roy got a five. 
he takes on an expression that is new. You don't know what it means because he is hard to read. But this is an expression that he has never, you have never seen him make. And he closes the door slowly. Roynar, you are left to clean your corner of the barracks. Being a knight, you have been given a personal quarter. And so you have had to empty out most of your things. And you hear a knock at the door, and you see Limden holding a small chest. Uh, hey there, Roynar. I... I heard about what happened. I'm so sorry. Oh, hey there, uh... uh Limden. Limden, Limden, yes. Um, uh, well... You know, these things happen, I suppose. Uh, I guess this shows you. Don't go breaking, uh, regulations half an hour after you start the mission. <laughs> and he gets a cheeky look on him upon his face and says, well, if you're going to break protocol, don't get caught. Uh, Royal laugh and kind of punch him on the shoulder. Not like hard, but maybe he overestimated how, t- how tough Limden was. So maybe he kind of bruises him a little bit, but on accident. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how hard you go. You hit him. He's like, oh, ow. Oh, sorry. Really all bone under there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have prominent bones. Limden gives you this chest. I-, I was instructed to give you the belongings you had when you first came here. And he opens the chest and you see something that you haven't seen in a long time. You see a set of chainmail that you and your father made together. Hmm. I think something that really strikes Roy is the smell of the oil. That very distinct orcish oil that you could only get in the hills uh, where his father grew up that he really associated with him. And that smell kind of strikes him and takes him back to his childhood and working, you know, kind of in the forge with his father. Um, and some of those fond memories that they had. Yeah, You can still slightly hear the ringing of your father's hammer somewhere in the corners of your mind. You remember quenching these rings and linking them yourself. You don this new chainmail armor and you take your time. You'd say it's probably about something around like 4.45 as you depart the law headquarters. And as you step down the steps of the citadel, you walk down one entire ring of the spiral, and you come to a quiet portion, a rice paddy. You see there's a wheelbarrow, there are tall strands of rice, and it seems remarkably... Still, you notice something. A bunch of this rice looks like it's bent over, like something is pressed against it. Looking into the waters, you see... You see G3 at the base of the Spiral River. I think for a moment, it those two things really just don't, like, click for Roy. Because, like, he just wouldn't expect to see him kind of here. And also, like, in a rice patty. So, like, it takes a second for his brain to kind of put it together. But then when he does, I think he would run over to him. So you rush into the water and you, with all of your might, kind of pull the torso of G3, pulling his head above the water. His eyes are dark and you see large slashes in his armor, as well as a significant dent on his shoulder. He, he appears rather roughed up and very waterlogged. Uh, I'd like to look up. Do I see anything, like, in the surroundings? Like, looking up, 
you just see a large wall of stone. Um, you know, part of the wall of the steps as it spirals around. And looking up, it's about like 100, 120 feet where you see the Castello Fidenza where it butts right up against the end, a sheer cliff. I mean, we've already seen firsthand Roy's first aid skills, but um, do I know anything about how to help a Warforged who's offline? I would say you have, I would say you have no fucking idea. I would say you have no clue. I have Tinker's tools and I'm proficient with them. Uh, you can try to make a medicine check and I'll let you add proficiency okay. for your Tinker's tools. Okay, that seems fair. Uh, okay, so that's a six. <laughs> okay, so you connect some wires and there's like a bit of a spark, like it kind of fizzles. G3! And G3, his eyes go on and he can say one word. Roy? And then, bloop, his, <laughs> his eyes darken once again. It's like somehow his energy source isn't properly connected. Something is failing. I think Roy is going to drag him to, I guess, the shore, or I guess to land out of the rice paddy, um, and then get that conveniently located wheelbarrow and try to load him into it. Yeah, I'm not going to make you roll or anything like that. Okay. I would say you managed to work it out and... Being very deliberate and careful, you get G3 into this wheelbarrow, and you start to make your way down. Well, I would also like to say, if he's still got his cloak, I kind of want to cover him mostly. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Easily done. Yeah. He definitely has his cloak on him. He still has his ring. Yeah. You just put that cloak, and as you pull it over him, it, like, billows slightly. <laughs> and it takes a full action, not just a bonus action. It's malfunctioning. So it just keeps randomly billowing. You're like, calm down. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and you begin to walk this wheelbarrow down the steps. And you continue down another ring. And as you're kind of like curling around going northward, you start to see clouds gathering. They are very thick. You hear lightning and the distant thunder of hoofbeats. Basically, I've been kicked out of my living situation. Did I happen to have any money? Uh, I would say you still have the money on you. Yeah, like whatever money you have in your inventory, we can say that you keep. They don't take your money from you. But I didn't happen to have anything else, right? I didn't have any more money than I that I didn't happen to have on me? Definitely not. Just my, I still got my rocks, though, right? I still have my non... Those were standard issue rocks. <laughs> <laughs> They've been taken. Yep. We're going to need your un unremarkable stones, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you got to turn in your badge and your unremarkable stones. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> so, no, uh, I would say the best lead that you have is that you have a goblin friend whose father owns a tavern that you were invited to. Because I took so long to put on my armor, could we give me a long rest, too? Or I could take a short rest, I mean, as well, and that would do me a world of good. I think we'll say short rest. Short rest seems fair, because you didn't really sleep. Short rest takes me... It gets all my abilities back, basically, which is all I need. Pretty much. Well, that's nice. What the fuck? Yeah. It makes fighters juicy yeah. in yeah. that way, you know? So, Roynar, as you continue down the steps, rolling the hidden G3, you start hearing people 
move about and bustling like, oh, it's moving day, it's moving day. Where are we going next? Where do you think we're going? I have no idea. I don't know where we could be going. And someone's like, in the Hezcocosa Desert somewhere. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know that. Shut the fuck up. We know the rules. Uh, <laughs> fucking Barry, you asshole. And can you, can you remind me? I'm sorry, I forgot. How often is moving day? I've moving day happens approximately every three months. Could be three months, could be five months. Okay, so if I've been here for like two years, I've experienced eight of these. Yeah, you, you have experience with moving days. Yeah. So I, I think as Roy is kind of reminded that it's moving day because he forgot, he mm-hmm. maybe feels a little bit more hopeful because he knows that that's going to put them somewhere new. So maybe there's somewhere else to go and he can just kind of leave. So with a little bit more of a pep in your step, you continue down until you're on the last ring of the steps, the bottom ring. And as you're walking, you put the wheelbarrow down for just a second to catch your breath. Despite being very strong and going downhill, you are still fighting all of his weight so it doesn't just drag you down the fucking slope. So you put it down very gently, and a door from a nearby house opens. And there you see a slightly inebriated Cecilia in a white pleated cloak, and she sees you. And you notice at that moment that during the hustle and bustle, G3's arm came out from underneath the cloak. Holy shit, what happened to you guys? <laughs> and I think Roy, for like the third time, is just again convinced that his instinct that Cecilia knew where the party was, was 100% spot on. <laughs> <laughs> They've been taken. <laughs> They've been taken. And he'll pick G3's arm up and kind of like tenderly tuck it back under the cloak. Oh, Cecilia, I can't say I was expecting to see you here. Um, uh, well... This is my house! Oh, it's it's a very nice house. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yes, yeah, it is. Sounds like there's a a, a real, real barn burner happening inside there. Yeah, I just got initiated into the clan of the Crested Sorrow. Your cloak looks pretty nice. Thank you. I wish I billowed like G3s, though. But that's okay. It's cool. Uh, well, yeah, we were actually, (laughs) we were actually headed down to, uh, the Angry Gut. Okay. I appear to have found myself without employment, and, uh... Oh. Shit. I found him in a rice paddy, actually. Oh, shit. G3! Wiggle his armor a little bit. G3, buddy, wake up, man! There's no response. Shit! I played with some wires, and he turned on for a second, but, uh, to be honest... Uh, medicine and healing are not exactly my specialty, and I really have no idea how this guy functions. So, I thought the goblin might know somebody who could try to help get him back up and running. Oh yeah, there's drinks down there too! Let's go! Hopefully we can get this guy fixed up! And I like, hit him again. In a nice way. It's a pat. (laughs) And Cecilia, your father, looks outside. "Are, Are you going to the gut now? Yeah. All right. Well, be safe. Have a fun time. And I like cover up G3. Thanks, Dad. Love you. Bye. Roy would nod uh, respectfully towards Cecilia's father. He nods back. Maybe have some. Maybe have some water before you leave, Cecilia. I think that could help help balance you out. <laughs> Stay hydrated and all that. Ah, fuck you, man. I need the drinks. And I just start strolling down. And don't you have another healing potion? 
I think healing potions can heal inebriation too. As you start going, Cecilia, look up and you see like your family pretty much like on the stoop, on the steps, and they're like, all right, have fun. See you later. Bye, love you all. And your mom looks at you and she seems like a little concerned. And she just says, be safe, Cecilia. I'll do my best, mom. I love you. I love you too. Oh, God. <laughs> and then she just, like, goes back inside. You make your way down to Barazle's point, and you all met up around five. It take, I think we said it takes, like, about an hour to get down there. So as you continue across the city, the sun starts to go down, and you can feel this buzzing excitement. People are like, it's moving day, it's moving day. I imagine Cecilia is just, like, narrating the entire walk. Like, that's where my friend Stacy lives. That's where her <laughs> aunt lives. This is where that weird thing happened to me that one time. Yes, absolutely, she's doing that. <laughs> and Stacy sees you, and she goes, oh, uh, uh where, are you, where are you going? We're going to the Angry Gut. Can I come? Fuck yeah, bro. Let's do it. Oh, all right. Yeah. Hi, I'm Stacy, by the way. This is my best friend, guys. Uh, Stacy? These are the people I fought with. I I am uh, Roy Nar, and uh, this is our friend G3. He needs help. We're getting him help. Do you know robotics? No. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> and we just keep walking. All right. So you, yeah. So like I was saying before, you take your hour to get down to Barazle's point, And there's all this excitement, this buzzing. Uh, people are like, oh, my goodness. Like, do you have any moving day resolutions? And someone's like, fuck moving day resolutions. It's like a few months, dude. <laughs> and then someone's like, new moving day, new me. Who dis? Um, <laughs> that, and Roy hears that and he's like, new moving day, new me. Who dis? Get a new job. Figure it out. <laughs> Maybe they have an opening at the Angry Gut. Who knows? <laughs> you continue down and you get to Barazle's point and you're in front of the museum, which is closed. And you see this kind of rabble rouser dude. He's just like standing on a box. He calls out to everyone, uh, a small group around him. He says, you think that the Bureau and the law care? You think Barazle cares? They send their men in here, and sure, they help us and kill demons, but we all know what they're up to. And there's, like, a chorus of boos. Boo. Supportive boos? Are they supportive of, like, what this man is saying? Or are they like, yeah, boo what that, like, that guy's talking shit, and, like, we agree with the shit he's talking. Or are they boos of, like, shut up? There's a mix. There's definitely people who are like, ah, oh, this guy's a fucking quack. And other people are like, wait, hear him out, hear him out. And this guy's like, they don't care. It's moving day and the Thunder Stallion's right next to us. You can hear it. Listen. And you do hear thunder. And you hear what sounds like a distant stampede. And someone's like, yeah, but the expert said it was going to pass by. No big deal. Does this guy happen to be old? <coughs> yeah, he's old. <laughs> he's an old man. Okay. You you see this guy kind of causing trouble and talking shit on the bureau and kind of keeping up this doom and gloom. And there's getting mi he's getting mixed results. Some people believe him, some people say shut the hell up. And you go to the angry gut. Tums. You have been relieved of your kitchen duties and you just finish telling a group of small goblins your heroic story. When the door opens and you see... Cecilia, kind of swaying side to side, 
You see Roynar in less armor than he was in previously, and you see a wheelbarrow with a slightly billowing cloak over the top of it. Oh, hey guys, you made it! Uh, uh where's G3? He's needing help. Uh, what do you mean? Royal gesture to the wheelbarrow. And I'll kind of lift the edge of the cloak oh, your G3's so head. So, I, I see him, and I see that, that G3's kind of mangled up, and uh, I guess I would I, I would call out to uh, Prilo at this point, because I know that he tinkered, he made that contraption. So, I, I, I'd say, uh, Pop! Prilo! Uh, uh, there's something wrong with, with the metal guy! Uh, can you take a look at him? Oh, uh, yeah, sure, once, uh, can you man the bar for me real quick while I do that? I deftly leap over the back of the bar. Okay. Slick as fuck. Oh yeah, it's pretty fucking tight. Start um, pouring drinks, tossing things up in the air. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna make you roll because I don't want to break that for you. you know? <laughs> so Prilo comes over to G3. He goes, all right, let's take a look. Let's take a look. And then he pulls out like a butter knife and he starts unscrewing part of the chest panel. He opens it up and you see inside of G3's chest this core. It, it's like a tempered glass. Uh, and there's, oh, I don't know what they're called, but you know, like this, those like static balls where like lightning kind of protrudes from the center and like touches the outside of the glass. Yeah. It kind of appears like that, just a little bit more chaotic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The energy doesn't look really stable. It's kind of fluctuating. Yeah. Some of these connections are severed. I, I don't really know if there's a whole lot we can d- do with them. I kind of hate to be the one to say this, but I think he's... Well, I mean, you don't know everything. Where's that turtle? That turtle, is he around? That guy could definitely help us. Is he here? <laughs> I think Roy's going to scan the crowd. No, the turtle left. The turtle left shortly after the Gricks. Is there anyone else interesting in the bar who... Like, who else is in the bar? The yeah. only face that you recognize from earlier is the sobbing drunkard who continues to drink and weep. Not that guy. Yeah. Wasn't it Mrs. Butterfield's son? Like, isn't that... Oh, fuck. Yeah. He worked somewhere, didn't he? The tannery. Um, but anyway, Pryo looks around and goes, No, look, guys, I'm I'm sorry. I went to... I went to WCIT, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Guys, I'm, I'm afraid to say this, but I think... I think he might be scrapped. No. Yeah, boo, boo. Pop, pop. Pop, you don't know what you're saying. Look, but look at these connections here. You see the inverter? The inverter's not working. There's a problem with the core. He's been heavily damaged. Mm. He worked for the Bureau. And Pep pokes his head out, and he kind of, like, gives you a look. <laughs> oh, he worked for the Bureau, but now he's dead, huh? And then he just kind of closes the door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not dead. He woke up, like, 20 minutes ago, and he said my name. I mean, come on, there's got to be something you can do. Can you just replace the whole piece? Look... I can't do that tonight. I can try to work on something. Can we just, like, put him out back for right now? If you have a nice shed or a barn. You know what? I, I got just the thing. I got just the thing. I got a friend who has a good yard with a padlock on it. Let's, let's, let's do that. It's the yard landscape? <laughs> no. It's enough room for the guard and the wheelbarrow, and it should be locked. Yeah, we, we can move him. We can move him. Okay. Not even indoors. Just out in the rain. Like an old washing machine. I tried to get you a nice barn. This is outrage. I know I'm a construct, but come on. <laughs> you wheel him over to this yard, and you see that there is an, an awning. It's like a corrugated metal roof. It would keep the rain off. And as you walk over, it is... Oh, so he's just an outdoor washing machine. Got it. 
Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, I'll take what I can get at this point, so. At this point, the rain is off you, so. Remorsefully, you leave G3 under the awning in the locked yard and make your way through the buzzing streets of Barazley's Point, back to the angry gut. You find meager joy in the celebrations, knowing that after all the danger you saw together, your companion has died. Suspiciously. And the next hour passes, what would be jubilance muted by a veil of subtle paranoia. You nervously nurse your drinks, shooting cautious eyes over the onlooking fans that have now gathered to celebrate your accolades. There is a lull in the party for a moment, until suddenly you start to hear the city emergency sirens. This thunderclap rings out across the sky, but somehow it doesn't diminish. It continues to be followed by continuous thundering. The rain slams down on the windows viciously, and suddenly there is a huge crash. You hear the sound of horses running. Deep, loud, bellows. People start screaming. You hear smashing and destruction. Wild winds whipping at the windows, bringing debris clattering against the panes. And you hear from somewhere distant outside, it's the Thunder Stallion! It's the Thunder Stallion! And you hear Prilo go, well, what the hell? Thunder Stallion? That's what? And he goes and he opens up the door. And as soon as Prilo unlatches the door, it bursts open inwards as a wild wind fills the entire space. The candles are put out. The fire dims and gutters out as this muted stormy gray kind of fills the room with dim light. And outside you see a large blue horse, probably 30 feet tall, running through the courtyard where you fought Grix, and then you see it barrel into an apartment complex of stone. And it just crumbles down. People are screaming. You see horrible calamity. And Prilo turns around and goes, Oh, no, the thunder's telling me, see what do we do? Help me close the door! Okay, Cecilia runs up and helps close the door. Okay, uh, go ahead and make a strength check. Oh, shit, these are huge! I thought they said that we were gonna be fine! Eleven. Okay, eleven is not enough. You and Prilo try to close this door, but the wind is far too strong. I think Roy would come over and start helping. Okay, Roy, go ahead and give it a roll. Uh, Roy got a twenty-one. Nice. Alright, yeah, Roy, when you come in, you help push even harder, and the three of you manage to close the door and latch it. And you hear Pep burst out of the kitchen. Goes, I told you guys, I told you guys it was gonna happen. The Thunder Stallion's running through here. The experts lied. The government's out to get us. It's all fucked. <laughs> Take cover! I think Roy would look at Prilo and say, you should get everyone to safety, but there's people out there. I, I'm gonna go outside. Do you have a back door or something? Yeah. We do, but it's through the kitchen. I mean, you could just go out the front door, too, if you wanted to, but... If you think you... Uh, or... Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, we have a back door. We have a back door. Yeah. I want to come with you. Dad, Dad, the basement. Oh, yeah, you can get people underground. Oh, the basement. Yeah, that's right. Uh, get in the basement, Dad. How many people could we fit in there, Tom's? Uh, a couple, I guess. 
No, more than a couple, more than a couple, probably like 50 or 60 people, maybe, max, if we chop, if we stuff them in like sardines. All right, well, let's let's go get them. <laughs> let's get them in there. All right, Rory, I'm right behind you, dude. Okay, so we'll, we'll, ki we'll kind of do this in free play style. So everyone will get a chance to go once before someone goes again. Leading the charge, I think Roy would uh, head outside through the front door, I guess, um, and then try to find like people on the street or... You go out the front door. Again, the wind takes it and blasts it open. And you see some people in the courtyard, like, confused as a few horses, like, pass by them, clipping the sides of buildings, running through the debris. Uh, you see one person get smashed by a giant six-legged horse. Uh, then I think we'll run out and just start yelling and telling people to get into the pub to go to the basement. Go ahead and give me a dexterity saving throw. That's a 15. Uh, you can get out to the center of that clearing where you fought the Gricks. Uh, and, you know, you managed to, like, stop just before a six-legged horse, like, barrels past you. You know when to stop and go and roll and, like, find these bits of cover as these horses thunder past Like you. a big game of Frogger. And Roy is so good at it. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. As the six-legged sleep near just come barreling through. You manage to make it to the center of this clearing where you see a person has been pinned by a piece of timber. Uh, I, I would happily help that person. We will. This person looks at you, and they extend a hand, and they say, Help me, please. Roy gets a flash. See, it's Art Demlin. <laughs> <laughs> it's Art Demlin underneath a log. I was going to come for the party, but I guess I came a little too late. I brought the party. <laughs> okay, so Cecilia's going to honestly try and get up on the roof of the couple buildings to try and see where the sleep near are coming from. Okay, so that is your entire turn. You run to the top of the angry gut and you see that the stampede is heading in from the northeast. So it's coming from the north and there is just storm and sleet and you are on a wet shingle roof. I'm going to need you to make a dexterity check for me, please. Okie dokie. Got 19. All I'm right. on all fours, man. My claws are... Digging, digging in. in. Oh, yeah. So you manage to hold your ground as you see just a large tempest, a storm ahead of you. And a flash of lightning illuminates through the clouds. You see a large, smoky shadow of an eight-legged equine beast. You've heard tales of the Thunder Stallion, but you've never seen him yourself. And it is... Epic. It takes your breath away. It leaves you speechless. You look down to see Roynar trying to help Art Demlin out from under a log, and you see a Sleepnir charging directly in his direction. Roy, move! So, Roynar, even over the storm, you hear Cecilia shouting. You look up to her, you look at what she's pointing at, and you see one of these big blue Sleepnir charging right in your direction. And Art Demlin says, uh, All right, let's move quick. Tums. Cecilia has gone upstairs. Your father is getting people inside. You see Roynar funneling people inside. And, like, a few of them get smashed along the way, trying to make it into the door as these horses, like, barrel past them, kicking people, knocking them over. They fall flat. The back leg just hits them in the spine and just crunches them. Um, so these are, like, real beasts. Like, I could jump onto one, say. Ooh. Potentially. They range in size from, like, 10 feet to, like, 30, 40 feet tall. 
from house size horses from to... average size horses to house size horses <laughs> <laughs> and bigger than house size horses Thomas, what would you like to do? Is the wheelbarrow still in, inside? Like, where? Like, is any? Is no, the wheelbarrow is where G three is. Did we leave him in the wheelbarrow? Like, could somebody? Yep, you left him in the wheelbarrow underneath the awning. Okay, I guess I'm gonna make it my mission to try and get over there and push him back into the basement. I guess. Go ahead and make a dexterity saving throw. Sure. Eighteen. All right. Being very fleet of foot, you play the sleep near Frogger game, darting behind houses, stopping, going, moving, staying alert. They're all coming from the same direction, so at least that's nice. And you make it to the gate that is locked into where G3 is. Okay. Would that be my round? That would be your round. Okay. So, G3, somewhere in this shapeless void that you find yourself, you feel a quaking. And you think you see your ancestral protector kind of materializing in front of you. The second thing you've ever heard it say, he is here. He has an offer. And, uh, g just reach out to the ancestral spirit. Alright. You reach forward and your hands come closer and as you touch there is a burst of like lightning energy like you feel your own form start to kind of dissolve into this pure energy this pure lightning storm-like energy tums you get to the fence and then you just see this wild arc flash this burst and the corrugated roof starts to like the wood beneath the corrugated roof starts to burn as there's just this huge electric blast on the other side of the fence from you. And you start to see arcs of lightning kind of like scratching up towards the sky. Roynar, this sleep near is barreling towards you. Art Demlin is pinned beneath this large piece of timber. What are you going to do? Roy would like to take the timber pinning Art and like trying to, like, use his strength and then, like, momentum to pull it off of him and then chuck it at the oncoming sleep near. Okay. I'm going to need you to make an athletics check, please. Okay. And, I mean, if you were willing to have given me inspiration for anything at some point, I would make that just with a straight advantage, knowing that I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. I didn't say... Yeah, you get advantage from your your personal scene. Oh, thank Ooh. God. Uh, thank I got thank a 22. <laughs> okay. So, that is one above what I thought it should be. So... Do you want to describe the action of heaving the log, or...? I think for a second, like, Roy doesn't think he's going to get it. Like, he's working at it, and he's straining, and he's like, oh, shit, this is really heavy. And then, like, he just gets this sudden, like, burst, and he rips it off Art, and then just, like, hurls it at the sleep near, and it just, like, hits him dead on in the chest. Like... Dang. Oh, yeah. So this... This piece of timber slams it in the chest. The six-legged beast rears back, throwing four hooves in the air, and it corrects its course to go not close to you. <laughs> and it... And then I think Roy would, like, grab Art and try to, like, rush him and pull him as fast as he could over towards G3 and Tums. All right. So as you start to pull him, he says, no, I, I have some place I need to be. All right. Well, 
If you need to, the gut has a basement that seems like it might be safe. Uh, how many people can fit inside? Uh, approximately 60. At this point, that's probably more like 40, just with all the people they probably gathered and okay. the people that are probably in there. So, okay. I don't know, you might want to hurry. See, it's going fast. Okay, sounds good. And you see Art Demlin, like, spring away, um, running through the chaos, managing to dodge these sleep near as they come. Cecilia, it's your turn. Do I see any... Well, I see that big flash of lightning. I guess I want to try and, like, hop onto the roof next to the angry gut. Okay, go ahead and make an athletics. It would be athletics or acrobatics. I'll let you interchange. I'll do acrobatics. Okay. Ooh, natural 20. Sick. Nice. All right. Yeah, you, like, leap epically yeah. over one of these, like, sleep near. That just takes the corner off of the angry gut, like, just the hearth. Mm. You manage to, like, leap off and over, and you land. And looking around, you start to see something terrifying. You hear someone call out, The veil! It's ripping! And you look down to see a kind of frazzled-looking gnome with red hair and glasses. He's riding on a mastiff. Oh, hell yeah. And he calls out, The city's being torn apart! Every moving day, when the veil rises and makes a smooth dome over the city... Right now, where the sleep near are running through, it is torn into fetters, flapping away, starting to divide pieces of the city away from one another. Shit. You see that your friends, your companions, and where you think G3 is, where an arc of lightning is blasting up, is starting to be separated from where you are now. You would need to leap over another alley to be with your friends. How about Stacy? What's Stacy doing? Stacy is inside the angry gut. She's helping people inside. I'm so torn between these two people. Um, well, seeing the lightning thing, like, I'm interested in it, and I know that, like, I kind of want to go over there, so... Okay. Um, you are going to have to make that acrobatics for your next turn. Okay. Okay. Tums, it is now your turn. You see the arc flash, you see the lightning, and you start to see this giant looming shadow starting to sink from the layer of clouds. Okay. Um, so I guess do I have I'll have to lockpick the gate. Okay. Go to, to open that up. Yep. So it's 19. Yeah, you managed to pull out your lockpicking tools. This is a fairly easy padlock. You managed to twist it, open it up, pops open, and the gate swings open. And you see G3 his chest panel open, he is no longer in the wheelbarrow. He is lifted up probably five feet off of the ground with arcs of lightning kind of touching all of the metal that's around him, like touching the fence poles, touching the corrugated metal, and he's floating his chest open and crackling. I'm going to need you to make a dexterity save. Saving throw is 14. That is just barely a fail. So you are going to take... 3d6 lightning damage. Oh! Wow! Oh. Wow! Ooh! Max damage! Max damage. <laughs> wow. Uh, 18 damage as you are hit in the chest with a bolt of lightning. Are you kidding me? So more than half of, of Tum's health back down to 13 after his short, his <laughs> long rest. Tum's, as you are sprawled out at the edge of the yard, you see something that 
Few mortals have seen before. Descending from the clouds, you see the Thunder Stallion, black as smoke, his skin like curling clouds, a tempest made flesh, eight legs on this equine deity, eyes blazing with electric lightning energy. A fearsome force starts to descend and floats right above G3, maybe 50 feet away. G3. Suddenly, as you feel this lightning power, you see the Thunder Stallion, just like in your dream. And it looks at you, eyes wide, full of lightning, electric energy. And there is recognition. There is something familiar, and you don't know exactly what it is. And you hear your ancestral guardian saying, He will give you a gift. He has an offer. He is what burns in your heart. Pledge your heart to him. Devote yourself to this god of storms and feel his power course through you. Uh... G3 while floating on his back with his uh, one non-dented arm uh, reaches into his chest kind of wiggles around and pops out his energy core and uh, raises it up towards the Thunder Stallion. And Tums, you see G3 move his core into the air, functioning yet again, and this Thunder Stallion looks at him for a moment before snorting and sending a bolt of lightning straight down into G3's core. And it blasts outwards with a blinding energy. Now we're going to go to Roynar. Roynar, you see a huge, deafening lightning blast. You see the fetters of the moving day veil starting to cut through town. You see Cecilia about to be divided away from where you stand now. What do you do? I'm gonna whip out my hempen rope and I'm gonna try to throw it to Cecilia. Is that possible? I would say make an athletics check. Can I help? Can I assist? Um, sure. You can you can be on the lookout for the catch, so you can give him advantage. Okay. Uh so with advantage that's a fifteen to rope toss. 15 is just enough. You reach the max limit of the rope as Cecilia grabs onto it. And, and I'm, like, running, trying to, like, throw it to her, you know? So I'm, like, not trying to stretch it out. But I'm, you know, trying to catch her and get to her. Yeah. Just trying to make a tether. Yeah, you, you throw it, and most of the rope is consumed by throwing it. You'll give Cecilia advantage on her acrobatic save to jump over. Jump! Jump! Acrobatic save? So dexterity save? Dexterity save. I got 22. Ooh. You can roll again if you want, I guess. And... 19. Okay. So with that 22, you jump into the air and Roynar tugs the rope ever so slightly to help guide your landing onto the building right above G3. You see the Thunder Stallion in proximity, within 30 feet of you, and it is beyond any experience you've known, beyond fear and awe and amazement. The Thunder Stallion neighs and then takes back off, running with the sleep near. You look down to see G3 standing and flexing his hand. You turn around to see this small gnomish figure, this small gnomish man. He's been evading 
all of the sleep near, but this time he doesn't, and him and his dog get kicked right in the ribs. The dog goes flying, sliding across the alleyway and ending up in a corner next to the building, lying motionless. The gnome looks over and looks to the door of the angry gut. And as this veil starts to separate him from view, you see him throw open the door. His stopping right at the door was a fatal mistake. As a sleep near brings its hoof down on this gnome, crunching him. And the veil partitions off the gory view as the hoof lands. And you see around you this narrow strip of Denbro and Barazle's point has been separated from the others. You don't see the museum. You don't see the angry gut. You do see Hungry Hagar's hoagies, so look forward to that. Yes! And suddenly, this veil starts to ripple and thrum, and then it fades to a calm, open night sky. That's where we're going to end. At night! <laughs> Hey folks, hope you had as much fun as we did with this season's story arc, Before the Storm Horse. It has been a joy bringing our... It has been a joy bringing our game to your ears. And it's fun to close a story arc. You know, see how many things you can make come full circle. But I digress. Before we go into any announcements, let's jump right in to Tum's Mailbag. Hey Tums, do you got that mail? Hey Tums, do you got that mail? Hey Tums, in the bag that you got on your lap from the fans, can you read that mail? Can you read it for me? Tums Mailbag! Can you read it for me? Tums Mailbag! Can you read it for me? Oh, it's so good to warm up by the fire. Oh, it's been a long time since I've had some time to be able to read my mail. I'm gonna reach in here in my bag and see what I've got. Oh man, it's full today. I've got so many things that I can look at. Alright, let's keep these sorted. We've got some stuff from uh, the land of Instagram, the land of Reddit. I remember that place. And the land of Apple Podcasts. And this, this one doesn't have a return address. That's interesting. Okay. So from Instagram, there's somebody named John McGarry78. And they write, I think I had better catch up again before Thursday. Well, John, I don't know what that means exactly. But I'm excited that you sent me a letter. So I, I'm glad to read it. I'm glad that it came through my hands. Thank you, John. Well, what else do we have? Ah, it's our old friend, Judge Groovy Man. Judge Groovy Man wrote, I've listened to this one a few times and love it and have some fun thoughts. It's so great that Tums' favorite Spice Girl's Ginger Spice, and I never thought the ginger pun before this episode. It relieves me that all of Tums' families is named for stomach-helping things. I like the icebreaker questions, which adds a lot. This sewer quest is getting scary. Everything in the sewer is spooky, especially the lair. Roy's stealth is hilarious. Tons of things about the show are hilarious and exciting. Thank you. Well, the question that I have for Judge Groovy Man is, is who are you and uh, what else do you know about me? How did you know I like Ginger Spice? She's my favorite. Leave her alone. 
Judge Groovy Man also said another one, and, and it looks like this one from Judge Groovy Man is is on some special letterhead. Uh, this looks like it's from from the offices of the Krugen. I wonder if Judge Groovy Man knows Cecilia somehow. Um, it says, "You are all so much fun." Post, 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 Goblin, laugh out loud. Cecilia's response to Art at fifty dot zero zero. It's epic. Also, I think Cecilia's style is excellent, at least on the face of it. The grabbing the bone with the magic hand was a cool and clever action. Alright, Judge Groovy Man, I'll be looking out for you, and maybe I'll pass this letter on over to Cecilia, and she can tell me who you are. I can learn about you. Oh my god, Judge Groovy Man's all over the place. He's also been to the land of Apple Podcasts. So from there he writes... It's so much fun listening to these creatures work together to create this awesome art audio content. They've done extensive world building, so the stories are deep and the settings are always interesting. There's a map on their website. There's a map? I know there are some photos of the players on the website, but I haven't matched them up yet in my mind because they all voice so well by their actors are those characters. They're having a good time along the way, and their entertaining comedy makes the show even better. I often post my thoughts on Reddit about the episodes. Just did that a few times today, actually. It's amazing how much cool and deep adventures they have portrayed already. There's a long, epic story already there in 22 episodes, and then a second that is nearing completion as I write this, plus a number of other small side quests. This podcast is a great format, and I look forward to the next episode every month. Judge Groovy Man, your words often confuse me, but I am so glad that you wrote... I'm so comforted to have received so many thoughts from you. Here we have another special message. This one reads, Dear Tums. Oh my god, I got a letter directed to me. This isn't somebody else's mail that I've pilfered from my bag. This is actually a letter directed at me, Tums. This is the one that doesn't have a return address. Uh, it just says something about the tavern squad at gmail.com. Uh, hmm... I'm always stoked when a new episode drops. Y'all are hilarious. It's been awesome to see how the show has developed since the first season. I love the improvisational vibe, especially with the table talk and random tangents. Connor is obviously a top-shelf DM who is perfectly open and supportive of goofy character choices, even if the party decides to completely abandon his main storyline. And then it's got, like, a face, and it looks like the face has tears, and they're laughing really hard. Scout Ratty might be my favorite addition to the show thus far. I can't wait to see what the squad does next. And then they got these little crosses marks. They, they look like uh, like if you hash some things together, like a, a tag of some sort, a hashtag. It says a hashtag tavern squad, hashtag T-squad, hashtag number one fan, hashtag making Tums read these hashtags as if it's important for delivery to the listeners, hashtag Tums mailbag, hashtag Stan. Your biggest fan, hot sign. And uh, if I look a little closer, I think I can find that that came from an Isaac Andrews. Isaac, I can't tell you how much it touches me that you wrote directly to me, Tums. Um, it means a lot, and I want you to know that Scout Ratty is at my feet and snoozing away right now. So, um, yeah, thanks for thanks for reaching out, and uh, I hope you have a great one. Everybody, I... Uh, can't can't say enough how how nice it is to to get all these letters, so keep sending them in wherever you're at. Good night. Tums, you got that mail? Hey, Tums, you got that mail? 
Hey, Tom's in the bag that you got on your lap from the fans. Can you read that mail? Can you read it for me? Tom's mailbag! Can you read it for me? Tom's mailbag! Thanks for reading to me. Hey, that's just great to see Tums with so many letters in his bag. Well, it's time to get to the announcements, and I wanted to share a big announcement with you all. And there's no easy way to say this, but we here at the Tavern have chosen to go on an indefinite hiatus. But this isn't bad news. We have so much to look forward to. I have recently started a new career I'm very excited about. Sean and his place of work and gallery, that's Ampersand Gallery, in Tucson are popping off, so if you're in Tucson or in Arizona, go and check them out sometime. Andre got a promotion. Congratulations, Andre. And finally, I think the best is saved for last, Jessica and I are getting married. And while we will miss providing you with top-notch entertainment, we are looking to the horizon with joy in our hearts. And though we won't be dropping new episodes, we here at the Tavern still want to hear from you. Write us a review, send us an email, or message on Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Let us know how much you enjoyed this show. And keep an eye on your social media to see what's going on with us or how to access any more of our content moving forward. And please, if you enjoyed this episode or this season or even our last season or our Cthulhu stuff, please like and subscribe. Better yet, take a moment to share with a friend. Our intro song is Briefcase Number 1, performed by Tartanic. Our intro speech is written and performed by the ever-so-talented Lou Fox. Other artists that provided music and sound effects are the RPG music maker Travis Savoye and Carl Casey from White Bat Audio. You can find links to their content and other contributors' content in the show notes. And seriously, check them out. I listen to their stuff, I use their stuff for my games all the time. Travis Savoye, Carl Casey, you guys rock. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. And with that, The last call has been made. The tavern is closing. And hey, it's not toodaloo forever. It's just ta-ta for now.